Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+. On the app. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, uh, here we are again. Uh, we have reached another day, another Tuesday, the day after another bank holiday in May, the third bank holiday in May, in fact. Uh, this week we're going to be having more rail strikes, by the way. Uh, tomorrow there's going to be one, so today the trains weren't working very well. Uh, they won't work very well tomorrow because of the strike. They won't work very well on Thursday because it's the day after a strike. Then on Friday there's another strike. And then on Saturday there's another strike. So where are we? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So that's five days, basically. Uh, of not very decent railway services in this country. People say all the time, why don't you use public transport? Because there isn't any. Why don't you take the bus? Well, that's all very well, but in most parts of the country there aren't any buses. So that's why people drive around in cars, I'm afraid. Thank you very much indeed. Speaking of cars, it seems that ITV had a car on uh, disposal uh, for the use of Philip Schofield uh, and his young friend. Uh, They used to have a thing called, um, what was it? Thursday Playtime. I mean, we used to do the Thursday Club here, and in fact, we've got Helen and Nicklin coming in later on uh, with A.D. Smith. The three drinkers are launching their new TV show. We'll be talking about that. Um, but they used to do something else over it this morning, apparently. Same kind of idea. It just didn't take place uh, in front of a camera or in a studio. Uh, it was in a flat nearby, apparently. I can't say what is going on at ITV, but what I can say uh, is that I can't really see why the show is still going. I can't really see why Martin Frizzell is still there. I can't really see why Carolyn McCall is still there. I can't really see why um, Kevin Ligo is still there. Uh, or indeed a couple of the other names that we mentioned to you yesterday. Eamon Holmes has launched a blistering attack on uh, Philip Schofield and it's all kicking off all over the place. Meanwhile, in the Tory party, uh, we've got a problem uh, because donors are saying they might actually withhold their money from the Tory party uh, because they might go on strike over the housing problem with the Tory party. Boris Johnson is having a row about his WhatsApps, the COVID inquiry, and he may end up being at loggerheads. There may well be uh, legal lawsuits being thrown around. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable. Um, Much else besides to talk about. Of course, uh, apparently some doctors are now asking people if their baby is trans. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, Just Stop Oil as well in the news because, of course, um, they've been bankrolling. Rather, they've been bankrolled by the same man that gives the Labour Party money, Dale Vince, a man uh, who we speak to on a regular basis on this show. Apparently, he's been giving money to Sir Keir Starmer and to Angela Rayner, but he's also been bankrolling Just Stop Oil. So what's all that about? We'll find out. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll bring you all the latest news from ITV, how the share price is doing, how the meltdown is coming. Uh, we're going to be joined by JJ Anastiovi on that one as well. Also, Alp Mehmet on the latest from the migration world, because, of course, we still haven't sorted that one out. There's a lot of um, very dodgy criminal Albanians knocking around. Uh, 80 of them have been sentenced to 130 years in jail in the first four months of this year alone. <sighs> it just doesn't stop, does it? This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We want to take your calls as well because your voice is as important as anybody's. Um, Tim Montgomery's coming up as our first guest. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a relatively uh, sort of calmish looking day, but there's always something going on under the surface. And this is what we do here at the Independent Republic. We probe and we uh, push and we find uh, areas that need a bit of investigation. Let's talk to Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor. Tim, very good morning to you. 
Good morning. I was going to ask you if you had a nice bank holiday, Mike. I saw a <laughs> lovely picture of you with your dog on a beach. Yes. But, um, I also saw you giving a Labour MP a grilling yesterday. So your bank holiday must have been a bit shorter than Yes, than mine. I mean, I, did, I, I tend to work bank holiday Mondays because it's always a good day to work because you always catch people off guard. Charlotte Nichols, yeah. of course, who, who yeah. thinks that hating Tories is a great idea, uh, thinks that actually uh, there is no comparison and no, no way to compare uh, online hate and uh, what she calls real-life uh, problems she's actually campaigned about it but amazingly hypocritically doesn't think there's anything wrong with saying it yeah i tweeted a video yesterday just extraordinary how people can be so sensitive about any hate addressed at them yeah is willing to throw it around at any of their political opponents. I, yes. I thought you did a really good job. No, thank there. you very much. I mean, it does give you a pretty good insight, though, into some of the new intake of Labour MPs and how they actually have whipped up um, the public into this kind of ludicrous sense of if somebody disagrees with you, they're, they're evil. If somebody disagrees with you, yeah. you hate them. If, and I said to her, it's totally irrational. You know, politics is, is, is all about give and take. It's all about ideas. It's all about conversations and debates. You know, I don't hate anybody for any reason. And I certainly wouldn't hate you if you disagreed with me about something. Yeah. Well, people love taking offence these days, don't they? The offence industry is perhaps the fastest growing industry in the country. But yeah. there we are. Well, it really is. Maybe we should just have a... Should we play a quick, quick clip of it? Here we go. I don't hate anybody or anything. And I think it's very irrational to encourage people um, to hate individuals or to hate organisations. Right? It's a ridiculous you notion. Like, you act like I was leading this chanting. They would be doing it with well, or without there, with or without my. No, tweet. but you're endorsing it though, and you're a, a, a democratically elected MP for the Labour Party. I mean, have, has the Labour Party said anything to you about it? No, of course not. So they're indulged. So they're endorsing you, saying hating the Tories is a good thing. They're not endorsing anything, and neither am I. Isn't but it? Isn't it? Isn't it hate speech to my, say that you hate the Tories? Well, isn't it hate speech to say you hate the Tories? You hate them at the moment. Yeah, so that's okay then. Um, these are the same people, by the way. This is the same party that Keir Starmer runs, who thinks it's okay to put together what I would regard a thinly veiled racist poster of Rishi Sunak, saying that he doesn't believe in locking up child sex offenders. Tim. Yeah. No. The Labour Party, I think the, one of the differences between the, the left and, and the right is we see our opponents as sort of incorrect, you know, that they've got a mistaken world view. Mm. They think fundamentally conservatives are somehow inferior to them. They're the party that believes in social justice and believes in the right things. And therefore, we somehow, our hearts aren't in the right place as well as our heads and we get, and, and therefore any sort of hate or attack on us is justified mm. in their view because they regard themselves as politically superior, although a lot of Labour people regard themselves as yeah. politically superior. And they believe, and believe themselves to be morally superior as well because they, they sort of jump on their high horse and say that, you know, they're, that they're much more virtuous than, than you are because you're a right winger and therefore you must hate people and therefore you must look down on people. It's bizarre how it's become this, isn't it? Because remember the old days of Theresa May when she said we must stop being the nasty party? Well, in my yeah. view, there's no doubt who the nasty party is now, and it's Labour. Yeah, yeah. And you just look at some of the placards. I think we may be talking about the protests in universities and um, mourning mm. each other. Um, you look at the placards that some of the, the left-wing protesters, you know, have in the streets of our country. 
and they're full of hate. Mm. And they say that they're ones against hate, but by their own words, they condemn themselves. Yes, they really do. I'm not quite sure how it got this bad. I mean, you were in number 10 a few years ago. Um, politics seems to have become an incredibly toxic world in the past mm. sort of three or four years. Why do you think that is? Oh, my goodness. How long have we got, Mike, to discuss <laughs> that question? I think it's an important question, though. It is an important question. Look, I'm I'm a Christian uh, person. And right. There was some G.K. Chesterton said said that when men stop believing in God, they won't believe in nothing. They'll believe in anything. Mm. And I think there's something to that. You know, all sorts of... Um, I think part of the human identity is that we need a belief. We mm. need a vision. You know, we are moral and spiritual creatures. If right. we no longer believe in God, I think we've put something in God's place. And I, I think a lot of people have put their left wing super beliefs in their place. They put their belief in Remain yeah. in that place. They put their belief in Trump or Clinton in that place. There's something about how we used to be. We used to have a balance of religious, community and political views. Now we somehow let certain forms of our identity take over who we are. And that sort of belief in Remain or belief in trans or belief in whatever, just stop oil, as almost has religious significance. And Sorry, that's probably a, a too long an answer No, for it's you. not. No, I think it's a fascinating answer because I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I've, I've always thought that, that some of the political beliefs that people have adopted of late have got a kind of religious zeal about mm. them because they are completely not to be argued with. You know, like the people who, who, who want to, you to just stop oil and, and who have now influenced, by the way, the Labour Party. So Keir Starmer saying if he was Prime Minister, they would no longer explore for new oil and gas um, outlets in the North Sea. Um, you know, these are people for whom there is no argument. You cannot argue with them. You cannot say, well, actually, I don't think that's the right way forward. They believe that if you say that, you believe in the world burning to, its, to the ground. Absolutely. No, there's there's no rationality uh, for them. And that's why I think what Keir Starmer is doing with these um, taking just up oil money and then potentially closing down drilling in the North Sea. Mm. I, you know, we can argue all sorts of rational, make some rational points about, well, if we don't you know, produce oil here, we'll be importing it from far worse regimes in the world. But people aren't listening to those objections. A lot of people aren't listening to those objections mm. because they just see the environmental beliefs as something like they once people believed in the return of, you know, Jesus or right. they it's a religious belief. You you can't argue with them. No, the second coming, the sort of people who go and stand on a mountain in California waiting for an air an airlift from an alien spaceship, having given all their money away to the guy who said it was gonna happen. And then when it didn't happen they went oh, I guess we'll just go back down the mountain then and wait for the next time. And it's quite bizarre. Let's talk a bit about Boris Johnson and the WhatsApp row that's going on. And there's still that kind of undercurrent inside the Tory party of, of I think, fewer and fewer people saying, you know, can he come back? Can he be the guy again? Is he the answer? I don't think he is. What do you think? Well, look, I used to work for him and he was someone I invested a huge amount of my political life in. And frankly, Mike, by the end, I was incredibly disappointed. Mm. You know, you, I think taxes went up under him. A lot of this environmental nonsense we've just been talking about um, started. Immigration, yeah. we lost control of our borders. We haven't done Brexit properly. And look, I was, I do think it's difficult when you get rid of a sitting prime minister in the middle of a, of a parliament. Mm. But the idea that a lot of conservatives think his second coming would be a um, a brilliant thing. It's just completely flawed. 
if you look at his his record. I know he had the pandemic at the start of this parliament that certainly made government incredibly mm. difficult. But, you know, William Beveridge wrote his report on the welfare state during World War Two. You know, <laughs> you can walk and chew gum yes. at the same time. Right. And unfortunately, Boris Johnson wasn't able to. And so... I, I don't think his return would be would be a good thing for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And do you think those who think it would be a good thing are, are kind of slightly blinded by nostalgia that didn't really happen? Well, look, Boris is a wonderful showman. And when he was mayor of London, actually, I think he got the balance right. He surrounded himself with good people. Yeah. And he was an effective mayor of London, certainly much more effective than Sadiq oh, yeah. Khan. He, he lifts your spirits. He was probably the only conservative politician who could have got Brexit over the line mm. at the 2019 general election. But then, I don't know, something went to his head. I think, you know, I don't go into this too much, but I think his domestic circumstances were certainly chaotic. Yeah. Something about his prime, his premiership failed. And um, I don't think the country would be ready to go through that trauma again, because mm. it was something of a trauma. Every day there was a story of yeah. some kind about dysfunction in Downing Street. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, very interesting stuff. Stay with us, Tim, if you would. We want to talk about a few other things, including, of course, the situation now with Rishi Sunak, uh, the millionaire Tory donors, whether they are going to pull their money uh, and, and not really give uh, what they think they should uh, to the party that they've always given to. Uh, but we'll take your calls as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll be back with more from Tim Montgomery after this. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A story in the Times already this morning, saying property developers have donated millions of pounds to the Conservative Party are considering withholding their funding over concerns that the government has become more house blocker than house builder. We're talking to Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor. Tim, housing is obviously going to be a big issue, um, almost maybe as big as immigration coming into the next election. Um, the Labour Party is saying they're going to make landowners sell land at lower prices, which sounds a bit communist to me. Um, but... What's the what's what's the sort of happy medium of of houses being built in places where there is land um, and houses not being built in places where locals don't want them? Well, um, I think, Mike, this is probably the number one issue facing uh, the country. And mm. put it incredibly crudely, if you want to expand the number of Labour voters, um, you increase the number of people who receive welfare from the state. Right. If you want to increase the number of Tory voters you increase home ownership. It's almost as, as simple as that. Mm. The Conservatives somehow have to crack this uh, particular nut. They have to control immigration, for a start. You, you mentioned those as the two top issues. Well, of course, they're related. The real reason why we have pressure on housing stock, we don't have immigration yeah. under control. But I don't think it's as simple as giving developers what they want. A lot of the developers are willing to build homes but they're not willing to build affordable homes on the scale that we need. So no. I think there probably is some need for government intervention and perhaps some sort of government encouragement of um, you know, developers to build more affordable homes for every plot they're allowed to develop. Yes. But again, as you say, you know, there are lots of other things that need to be done around it, you know, because I'm always hearing from people that we haven't got enough homes. But everywhere I go, and I don't know whether this is your experience, but certainly in the southeast, I see houses being built everywhere. You know, I don't know whether they're the right kind of houses. I don't know whether they're the more affordable kind, but they're certainly, you know, big enough and, and sort of ugly enough 
um, you know, estates being built and in places that I know quite well, uh, parts of Sussex, parts of Kent, where you know there is no capacity on the roads, for example, there is no capacity on the trains, there's no capacity in the hospitals, there's no extra schools being built, there's no extra GP surgeries being built. And it's almost as though the government's operating in a vacuum. You know, they're going, well, we can do this, but we're not going to do anything else. Well, look, the, the, house, the reason why we see so many houses being built is fundamentally, you know, that our way of life has changed in considerable ways. Mm. We marry later, so we have a longer period of singleness in, in, the, in our 20s. Family breakdown is huge in this country, so families are splitting up. And then there's the whole ageing population. People live an awful lot longer, so mm. the pressure is enormous. But you're right, you, we can't just build these houses and then not put a doctor's extra doctor surgery when people are already not mm. able to get access to uh, their GPs. Roads, railways, they're all gummed up, particularly in the in the south and, and southeast. So I think probably what you need is, you know, after the Second World War, we had a whole series of new towns, places like yeah. Harlow. And what you did is you built the houses and you built the infrastructure at the same time. Mm. And so rather than you know, a large number of uh, locations with small numbers of new plots. You need a small number of locations with large uh, numbers of housing developments. Mm. Um, so we have garden new towns is what some people have talked about. And yeah. um, I think that's probably where we're going to have to go as a country. Yes. But you don't hear much of that conversation. I don't know whether it goes on internally within the Conservative Party or internally in the Cabinet, but you don't hear much of that as a public discourse. You know, people aren't saying it. And, and making out that you do actually have to be quite considered about how you do this. Because while you say that, it might be quite a good idea, where would you put the next new town, for example? Would it be in the northeast of England? Would it be somewhere like the Lake District, where it's a little bit less uh, busy? But would it be somewhere near a, a, a urban centre? <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's the thing. You know, Where the hell would you put it? Because if you put it anywhere between, say, I don't know, Seven Oaks and Brighton, there isn't anywhere to go. Yeah, well, I, I disagree slightly with that, Mike. I think there are plots and places where in the southeast that still are uh, you, you could put development. Mm. I probably would put the first new town somewhere between Oxford and Cambridge. Oxford and Cambridge yeah. are going to be absolute centres of the growth future of this country, mm. and we need to invest in in that part of of the country. But look, I'm certainly not saying this is easy, and. Probably the thing I would say about our political class is one thing I don't know whether you've noticed is politicians don't really make any speeches anymore. No. When when um, Margaret Thatcher was in power or you know, John Major, Tony Blair, they made big speeches. And speeches are important in politics, not just because of what we hear, but it's about the, the politicians spending time thinking deeply mm. about a subject. And they don't do that anymore. No. We live in a soundbite culture and all they've got to think about is putting together a press release rather than a, a big argument. And what we need from a prime minister is to persuade us to, to talk to us over an extended period mm. about the housing crisis and what he or she is going to do about it. You know, we're not stupid. We will, we, will, we will accept big things if we understand that the government really understand how that problem can be cracked. 
but we don't have politicians giving the sort of fireside no. chat to us that I think a previous generation might have done. No, because it's vision, I think, is what you're talking about. They don't seem to have a vision. I don't know what Rishi Sunak's vision is for Britain. You know, I know what no. his five-point plan is, but, you know, that's not a vision. And you said earlier that um, one of the ways to get more people voting Labour is to get more and more people on welfare. And that's what the Tory government has done for the last 12 years. There's more and more people now on benefits than ever. So, presumably, they're all going to vote Labour. Yeah, yeah. And they will. Mm. And, it's, and it's a depressing kind of world, I think, if you're a Conservative at the moment, because there's very little that you can point to which appears to be Conservative policy that, say, somebody like Margaret Thatcher would have ever done. Well, that's a huge question. And um, I'm actually in the middle of putting together an essay at the moment on why this period of Conservative government has gone wrong, Mike. Mm. Because it has gone wrong. You know, I've lived through two extended periods of Conservative government, the Thatcher major years and the uh, Cameron, May, Johnson, Truss, Sunak <laughs> years. Yes. And um, I can tell you, one of them was a huge success. It, 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 it won majorities, but it, that wasn't the end of what Mrs Thatcher wanted. The majorities were her way to improve the country. Mm. Whereas the Tories have sat on their majorities, really, and not done anything uh, with them. And actually, if you already rehearsed it, really, so I won't go through it again. But so many of the indicators that uh, should it be about countries' prosperity, happiness, are going in the wrong direction. And Conservatives really have to do some soul-searching as to what went wrong. Mm, they really do. It's a fascinating time um, to be alive, as ever. Tim, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Tim Montgomery, phone of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor, of course, in search of a vision, a political vision, in search of any kind of vision, really, in search of something that people can say, that's what they believe in. That's what Rishi Sunak wants for this country. I don't know what the answer is to that. Do you? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, the disaster that is this morning. They're still going, by the way. Nobody knows why. Nobody can work out what on earth they think they're doing. You know, the happiest place in the world to work, apparently. Yeah, if you believe that, uh, I've got some swampland to sell you in Florida. Coming up next, uh, showbiz entertainment guru, uh, Mr. JJ Anasiobi will be here to tell us what the latest is and to explain what Thursday playtime actually means. Good morning. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The only place to be, really, for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I'm not telling you any lies at all when I say this is a very happy place to work. Uh, yesterday morning, you will not believe what happened on this morning. Giles Brandreth was a guest, right? And they opened the show um, with Alison Hammond and, and Dermot, what's his face? And they went and, and old Brandreth goes... Oh, it's so lovely being here. I've always loved coming in here. I really like it here. It's so nice. Everybody's so so nice and friendly. And, and don't you like it, he said to his co-guest. Uh, co and she went, oh, yes, yes, we like it really a lot. It's lovely. It's really nice. Um, what a load of cobblers. JJ Anasiobi is here. Um, a man who apparently I promised to come on the show here two years ago. This is yeah. the first time we've managed to do it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. To be time honest. does fly. It's because you're toxic. That's no, why. No, it must be that. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm one thing on screen. <laughs> and another off but I mean we do work quite a lot together yeah you we, know, do. we do see each other in the I see more than I see my wife so. well listen um, who can blame you <laughs> but I mean this morning we got this right didn't you thought this story was going away we've got Thursday playtime now Ooh. apparently those people that work four days a week um, <laughs> I'm not one of them um, apparently Thursday afternoon they That's go off it. and uh, enjoy themselves. Party time. Um, so get yourself a flat near the office. Um, <laughs> get yourself a company car. Secret entrance. Secret exit. Away yeah. you go. 
Yeah. What's going on? It's quite absurd that people at ITV are still trying to claim they knew nothing about this mm. when he was using a company car yeah. to pay for his young lover yeah. to go to and from the office between his personal flat and the office. Yes. And everyone thought, no, that's completely normal. Yeah. That's normal. Yeah, it was named Playtime. You yes. can only imagine what they were getting up to. Yes. And I mean, a lot of this information is coming from Eamon Holmes because yesterday yeah. it, all the gloves sort of came off, didn't they? Because yeah. uh, bizarrely, for no particular reason, <laughs> Philip Schofield decided to, to, to put sort of to throw another match into the flames, right? <laughs> and say um, that it's the best place in the world to work. You know, everybody loves everybody else. And the only reason people are having to go at me is because they've got a grudge against me. Now, it's Dr. Ranch who's on the show for 10 years, yeah. right? He put out a statement saying... The place was really toxic. Yeah. I'm not going to sell my story. This is my only statement. He put it on Twitter. Yeah. Everyone commented about it saying this is really bad. And yeah. Dr. Ranch has no skin in the game. He's not no. against Phil. He's not for Raymond. Right. He's just saying his personal experience. Right. Phil puts out that. that but he way. also said he went to the top at ITV, which is bad news for people like Carolyn McCall, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's what but again, people, they're going to claim, well, they, claim, they tried to claim they didn't know anything about it. But right. we've, we've now found out they had several investigations right. that... They, they just shut down. They, they, as Eamon said, they asked Philip, are you having an affair with this kid? No, no I'm not. No. no, it's just people who are saying it so they've got a grudge against mm. me. They asked the kid, are you having an affair with Philip? No, no, I'm not. No. All right, cool. That's it then. Do you want to cast my morning from yeah. his house? Yes, I mean, please. This is why they're not running panorama. <laughs> this, is it? You know, investigative news organisation can't investigate anything. <laughs> but I think this is the end of this morning. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. Holly Willoughby's got to go, yeah. 100%. Mm. The top bosses have got to go. I think they'll try and keep her in some way. They might give her another show. They might, because they, they think she's an asset, and she may yeah. well be. But this morning, I don't see how... I mean, I don't even know how they've got the cojones to put it on. It's crazy. I mean, and I Alison feel like... Hammond in the morning going, yeah, how is everything great? How's everything going? Let's have a look at what's in the papers. Oh, no. Well, never mind what's on the front. We'll just go inside. What have you got inside? Yeah. I think Alison and Dermot may be the future. Whatever yeah. the show is rebranded as, maybe yeah. it's going to be called the morning yeah. instead of this morning yeah. it'll be them on a new set a bit more modern a bit yeah. more minimalist less Laura Ashley more I've Ikea. got a good idea from, what about TVAM <laughs> oh no <laughs> somebody's already done that GMTV no no sorry <laughs> but a rebrand's got to happen yeah. Holly's got to get sacked from this morning mm. I think you're right she'll stay at ITV right. but she's got to leave this and morning and she hasn't said much has she since last week when she was shocked to discover she's, that it's that, hurtful uh, that Phil had lied to her. Yeah, he had an affair. So presumably he lied to her when she was pictured with the man in question, the boy presumably. in question, sitting in between him on a sofa. But when Philip lied to her, presumably when he came out as gay, yeah. and had lied to Holly and his wife, Holly said, I'm so proud of my, of my friend. Yeah. But when she found out he'd actually had an affair, and right. it told a different lie, right. then it's hurtful. She mm. is, um, I don't call her a toe bag, that sounds too harsh, mm. but... Essentially, she's thrown him under the bus yeah. and now she's trying to save her own career. And ITV yeah. are doing the same thing they did with Philip. Right. They tried to save him to begin with and then when they realised it was gone too far, they let him go. Yeah. Now they're trying to all rally around Holly. She's had two weeks off, a week earlier than she's supposed to have it off and they're giving her time away. She's going to go. It's good. But there must be last. a lot of nervous people around at ITV because they've, yeah. all got, they've all got some part to play in all of this, yeah. you know, because the numbers of people who are being named, like Martin Frizzell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Martin Frizzell of old, right, because I was in Bosnia, believe it or not, oh, and Martin wow. Frizzell turned up uh, with an ITV crew. And I went, oh, hello, Martin. I didn't realise you were covering the war. He's like, no, we're here to rescue a bear. <laughs> I'm like, there are people dying over there. You know, there's refugee camps, there's concentration camps. He's like, no, 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 we've come to get a bear. Somebody left a bear chained up outside a restaurant and they brought it back to Britain and that was it. And was Frizzell, because um, I've heard that he's kind of old school and a bit intimidating, he can likes to swear a bit sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. I mean, I, I didn't notice anything particularly different about him. And I've known him over the years, um, yeah. you know, to sort of say hello to at functions and things like that. Yeah. But I imagine he probably is a bit old school because that's the world he comes from. Yeah. But, 
And for me and you, that is our that's our classic newspaper editor. That, yeah. That's newspaper room right. editor. But for the modern Gen Z, exactly. For the modern kids, yeah. that kind of attitude is completely out of order. Yeah. And if people complain about it, something has to be done these Except days. apparently ITV, because if you complain about ITV, you just get, you get, you, you get kicked yeah. out the door. So the, the word is um, Rylan, yeah. Eamon, Ruth and Dr. Range all complained, mm. all got moved on. Maybe they'll bring and them so, back. And somebody said to me yesterday, very interesting manoeuvre by Philip Schofield, who appears to be basically opening the lid on all the people who have got dirt on him. Yeah. Right? So yeah. he's basically having to go at people. Like, and Eamon last night gave an interview um, on another channel in which he basically just unloaded, uh, mm. gave this information about the secret tryst, gave all sorts of other information about how... I mean, calling Philip Schofield a liar. Yeah. Right? Now, yeah. normally in this business that we are in, you don't do that. No. Um, or if you do do it, you might get sued. He's obviously not worried about getting sued because he must believe he it. believe it. He must do. And he also, Eamon also insinuated that this uh, young man who Philip had the affair with needed money. Mm. So I don't know if, I mean, look, if you, if, you, if you need cash and you've got someone rich saying to you, come round to my nice one million pound apartment yeah. in central London, you can stay here the night. Right. It's like, you're probably going to take the bait. I'll get your car back to work exactly. in the morning. Yeah. This is the thing, you know, when people say to me, look, this is just a, a personality story. It's a soap opera, you know, move on, forget about it. Nah. This is about something much bigger. Yeah. Because it's about a toxic culture mm-hmm. at one of Britain's biggest media companies, yeah. uh, which produces an awful lot of shows and an awful lot of output, mm-hmm. you know, and is, and is paid an awful, and pays people an awful lot of money. Yeah. Advertisers are starting to drop out, which is yeah. a problem as well for Karen McCall. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where it all ends. I think they all have to go in the end. Yeah, I could I completely agree there. Get rid of them all. The only people who can re- look the the crew who aren't involved, the guys who turn up to do the camera work, do the sound, they won't be losing their jobs. I don't think yeah. they'll, they'll move on to the next show. Dermot and Alison, I think, can survive this because they're relatively new. And people say people people I speak to who work there say Friday show has always felt very different to Monday to Thursday. Yes, it's a it's a breath of fresh air. Everyone prefers going on on a Friday. Have they all had Thursday playtime then? So that, uh, you know. <laughs> Friday's a bit more relaxed. <laughs> a bit less aggressive, maybe. I can't imagine why. But the other thing is, right, for the shareholders, because the share price has been diving yeah. 50% down on when it was when she joined, Caroline yeah. uh, McCall. It's now emerging that many staff have been paid off. Many of them have signed NDAs, yep. non-disclosure six agreements. Figures, six figures. And I think shareholders might say, hang on a minute, You're what exactly is going on? Because yeah. it's a public company as well. Yeah. It's not a private company. No, that's it. They, um, they are going to, heads will roll. It's only a matter of time. I think maybe they'll pull the plug in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, and then the yeah. summer holiday they'll have off to... Because they reboot. do that in TV, don't they? They also disappear off for two months. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, of course, in the old days, uh, Holly and Phil used to go on holiday together. Oh, yeah, they go away and... Or and... did they? I well, mean, <laughs> is it one of those... I mean, I once chased uh, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely around Los Angeles, right? And they checked into two, uh, to two separate hotel rooms uh, with the two backing singers. Yeah. And George checked in with one of them and of course he didn't stay in that room because that wasn't the thing but at that time he hadn't come out so right. he was still pretending to be a heterosexual man um, so I wonder if this is the same you know like they go to the same resort do some Instagram pictures and then he goes over there <laughs> see you later I am certain Holly can save her career yeah, 100% I think so yeah but not on this morning she, no. she's, she's got to go well the show must be toxic mustn't it it the must name. be toxic and it stinks of Philip Schofield right. that's all everyone's going to think when they watch it Philip Schofield Philip Schofield yeah, and, and also let's Holly, not forget they have lost a couple of hundred thousand uh, viewers the, the cardinal sin they've lost money for the business yeah. and they've lost viewership right. what's the point of them being there then yeah. they were used to as our police force yeah well yeah. I thought you might get that in <laughs> 
Yeah, but don't worry, because soon they're going to be not attending um, people who have got mental problems. Um, yeah. They're just going to leave them to it. Yeah, 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 that's safer for everyone. Oh, I think yeah. that's a good idea, actually. But we're not, you're not here to talk about television, let's <laughs> talk about so police, rather. Um, so what's your prediction, then? Do you think this week um, will continue with this morning and then it might change in a couple of weeks' time? Or yeah, what? Holly's off for another week at least, yeah. so she's Half-term's a long one for her this time. Yeah, yeah, she's got an extra long half-term, yeah. yeah. Um, when she comes back... I think she might have another dose of shingles. Was it shingles she had before? Yeah, she had shingles. Yeah, when, yeah, that's right. I think she will come back. They'll partner with someone, could be like Alison, mm. to try and breeze over it. Mm. Viewership might pop up a little bit just to see what happens with her. And then after that, I think people are going to keep on lambasting. They right. thought Q-Gate was going to go away. It didn't. It right. took a year and a bit later. We finally got rid of Phil. And it's also, next. you know, what if it turns out that there's been other things that have gone on, for example, that... You know, Philip Schofield has, has promoted things that maybe he wasn't supposed to be promoting or that he was, you know. Yeah. Would Ofcom have a role in any of that? They, they might have. Yeah, they would do, absolutely. But also, apparently this young lover of his also signed an NDA mm. and that apparently is ending in the next two months. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Some point, it's either June or July that comes to an end. Right. I think we're going to hear from him and it's going to open a whole new And at the moment, his name has remained secret because of his privacy. Yeah. Which I'm told legally might not last forever. No, but it's all over Twitter. Yeah. Anyone, anyone goes on Twitter and types in Philip Schofield, yeah. you're going to find out this kid's name. Right. Yeah. And his picture. Yeah. It's all over. There's, there's video we footage. We don't recommend of, you do that. Obviously. Yeah, do not do that. But there's video footage on Twitter of, yeah. of the boy and Philip in a bar mm. drinking together. Yeah. So, um, it's easy enough to find out but I do think that whatever comes out next Philip's gone yeah, he's, not, he, coming he's not coming back yeah. but it's going to be damaging to Holly because she's tried to maintain she knew nothing about it she's well very one interesting thing I got yesterday from some people out uh, just out and about saying that you know she's got this M&S clothing line yeah. and there's quite a few M&S shops where she's promoting it mm. and there's big pictures of her a lot of those places are taking the pictures down Oh, so you know. Wow. Yeah I think it's yeah I think she's going to slope yeah I think she's going to get found out for mm. um for, for actually knowing more than she's claiming that yeah. she knew. And then that makes her a liar. No, Yeah, yeah we, already, we already didn't like them because of Qgate and their general smugness, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Now it's like, oh, so now you think we're idiots, going to lie to us. All that little dancing they used to do at the start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, spin to win. Look at I us. Know. Oh, we're so normal. I can't stand them. No. No. Fair enough. <laughs> Listen, I can't argue with that. Um, JJ, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you in two years. Um, this is Talk TV. <laughs> On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got much to do. We've got plenty of time to do it. And we're here till one o'clock, of course. Uh, Ian Collins, I think, is in at one o'clock or maybe not. It could be Mark Saggers. We'll try and find out for you. It is Mark Saggers. Uh, back today after a successful uh, bout yesterday, of course. And then Kevin O'Sullivan and Rosie Wright back at four o'clock. Uh, and then, of course, Jeremy Carl live. Then, of course, it's Piers Morgan Uncentered with Rosanna Lockwood. And it's the talk, which I think I might be on. Uh, coming up in this hour, Laura Dodsworth is going to be here. We've just got some breaking news about the Covid inquiry. Apparently, uh, they've said they've been told by the cabinet office that they don't have Boris Johnson's WhatsApp messages or notebooks. There's a surprise, uh, as the deadline to hand over the evidence has been extended now until Thursday afternoon. There was going to be a four o'clock deadline today, uh, by which all of those WhatsApp messages would have to have been delivered, uh, but that has now been pushed forward until Thursday. Uh, but nobody knows where they are, of course. Well, you can always ask Boris Johnson. He's more than likely to tell you the truth, isn't he? about his WhatsApp messages and his notebook. I'm almost certain he would do that. But let's talk about something we talk about a lot on this uh, station, and it is low-traffic neighbourhoods and the war uh, on the pedestrian, the war uh, on the car driver, the war on hospitality as well, because we're about to speak to Clint Pugh, uh, designer and restaurateur uh, up in uh, Oxford. He happens to be the father of Florence Pugh, uh, which must be a wonderful thing for him. Uh, but he's not very happy, because Oxford Council 
have basically committed what I would regard as economic crime against his businesses. They've made it impossible for people to get to certain parts of Oxford because of these low-traffic neighbourhoods. They've made it so difficult for people to park that they just don't go and use local facilities and amenities anymore. And this is happening all over the country. I said it would. Once they started putting cycle lanes into London, once they started putting these LTNs into different places, ULEZ zones, it's happening everywhere. Um, and Oxford is one of the worst places for it. Let's find out now what's going on there. Clint, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank, good you morning. So, thank, thank you so much for joining us. You've been a guy uh, in Oxford running several um, bars and restaurants for, for many, many years. Tell us what Oxford Council have done and how that has affected your business. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I've been running restaurants on the Cowley Road for 31 years. Um, I opened Cafe Coco back um, back when it was a very run-down area. Mm. And uh, I've then subsequently spent 31 years trying to improve the Cowley Road and trying to make it to the into the vibrant space it is now. Um, I'm fortunate I'm a designer, so my, my places and designs are restaurants are uh, obviously very different from most people. Um, but what the County Council have done is they've closed 1.2 miles of connecting roads to the Cowley Road, where mm. there's over 200 businesses on there. Um, and of course, the other sad thing is that the majority of the um, owners are English is their second language. Yeah. So they're, they're too scared to stand up and actually uh, stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'm extremely vocal. So yeah. um, good. That we, like, we like that. We like vocal people. Well, yeah. it, someone's got to say something. Yeah. I mean, it's tragic. I mean, what's happened is you've, you, you've, we've lost the early evening economy, uh, the late time economy. People just aren't coming. Mm. And um, it's uh, it, it, we didn't really realise when they first announced that they would. They, we had. I, I remember it was during COVID that signs kept appearing during in the uh, uh, in the letterbox about this proposed LCNs. Now right. none of us even knew what they were. Right. Um, so by the time they actually instigated la- a year ago in May, um, it wasn't until a few months later we realised the actual devastation it was actually having. Hmm. You know, so we we're, we're now on the back foot trying to actually deal with it. But the councillors still haven't bothered to come and see us. Um, nobody consultates, has a consultations with the, the businesses. There was no business assessment. Um, and of course, it's basically suck it and see. Yeah. And, that, and that's where we've been left. But this is the trouble because their policies all seem to be driven by this kind of almost um, zeal that they have for kind of being anti-traffic and being anti-car driver and being anti-pedestrian almost as well because they don't seem to take i mean this is happening all over britain in i i I, I go to sussex a lot kent as well there's a lot of places down there where you can't park in the high street anymore so you know surprise surprise a lot of the high street shops are closing down because there's no footfall and you you know i don't understand how these councillors can work in a place and take no account of the local economy well, I don't understand where their conscience is. I mm. mean, I, I can understand the idea that we want to make a greener, cleaner Oxford, but mm. why choose this one road? Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the most vibrant road in Oxford. It's got the largest percentages of businesses in it, apart from the centre of town, of course. Yeah. But we have another problem in the centre of Oxford, is that the Oxford's been completely destroyed by mm. the creation of the Westgate, a whopping great shopping centre that was probably 20 years out of date being installed. Right. And many, many shops on the high street and the core market, main, main important roads in, in uh, the centre of Oxford, uh, the, the shops are all shut there as well. So whether or not this is a drive by the council to try and encourage business on all economy to move from the Cowley Road down into central town, oh, we don't know. We have no idea. Mm. The, but the, it's the way they've implemented it. I mean, it's like as if you've got a bunch of students or A-level students with black felt pens just eradicating areas of business. Right. It's not. 
I mean, I wouldn't mind if they did it properly. If they, you know, they've painted, they've, from what I gather, they spent over three million pounds on painting white lines on the side of roads, pretending that they're cycle lanes. Now, these are not safe. Right. They're making a false sense of security. They've taken away car parking, um, and it. And it's 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 it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it, they, and they're not even readdressing it to see. Look, we've made a mistake here. I mean, they've said they're not going to introduce any more LTNs in Oxford. Right. But what about dealing with the problem you've already created? I mean, surely you're supposed to actually, you know, if you you see the damage it's being done. I've lost hundreds of thousands of pounds. Many businesses have already closed down, and it, it's only going to go one way. Well, one but of your one of your bars has been repossessed, hasn't it? It has, and I spent four hundred and fifty thousand pounds building that. And I'm a designer, and I literally, I spent put a lot of energy into it. But of course, it's become it's ine- inevitable that with what they've done, it's 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 very difficult to maintain and keep your businesses going. Don't forget, we've all just recovered or mm. trying to recover from COVID. Yeah, um, we obviously have an inflation problem caused by um, the Russia invasion of Ukraine, um, and and. Uh, it's just the wrong time to have mm. done. So I mean, it's like they sneaked it in at a time when we weren't paying attention. Right. Um, but even so, even now being called out, um, I mean, there's one. What we had a. They're, they're trying to actually instigate a thing called a bus bus gates, where they're going to segregate Oxford into uh, these segregated six or five or six areas. These like fifteen well, one, minute city one, things, right? You know, one councillor actually voted against it. Um, and he's now been removed from the committee. One Labour councillor, um, Mark Largo. Um, I mean, which is a shame because he's also been silenced. Yeah. Not, I've never been able to speak to him subsequently. Mm. Um, and you think, well, hang on a second. This is this is just unfair politics yes. now. I, I tend to think that local politics should be, it shouldn't be political. It should it be should, more I inclusive. Make, they should at least be consulting with local well, business exactly. people. And everybody, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've even, been even low tactics. I mean, there's a chap, a council called Andrew Gant, who's head of the roads um committee right. I mean, he accused me of being a liar when i called him out at a meeting to say or called everybody out right. to say that one councillor has bothered to come and see right. me before the instigation of the ltns and then he called me a liar mm. and, and, and how dare the, these people who basically work for us who are paid for yeah. by taxes who are paid for by us operate like these little tin pot dictators i find well, it exactly. extraordinary they, you know they have yeah You've got a, I think you've got a sign up outside one of your restaurants. I think we can have a look at it um, now, which they're trying to get you to take down. I think well, I've already taken. I've had taken it down because I had to replace it with another sign that I was um, advertising one of my, my children, Toby, Toby Sebastian. He had a concert in Oxford, but right. this was a sign I had up for. Uh, I put it up in November, right? Um, and then subsequently, a few months later, I got a uh, letter from the Oxford City Council, not right. the Oxford County Council, demanding I take it down because they said I haven't got advertising for that board. Well, that board's been up there for the whole 31 years that I've right. been on the Valley Road. Um, they so, are so obtuse when they want to be, aren't they? Well, it just seems it just seems rather strange, isn't it? You know, here I am trying all on. If you actually, I mean, obviously, the your the guests at the moment can, viewers cannot actually see the sign mm. but basically i called them out and said look this is what's happening this is what's going to happen and everything i said on that sign has mm. come true everything yeah and uh, it's um and it's a shame that oxford city council need thought that they should then interject to try and actually defend oxford's county council for their appalling um treatment on the cowley road and yeah it's not just the cowley road there's other areas around connected to it right you're going to think that if there's 200 businesses on the cowley road alone 
Um, there's other businesses around the area that are all being affected in the same way. Yeah. Is there anything you can do legally in terms of, say, um, getting together a kind of class action suit to say, look, this is cost- costing us an awful lot of money. You're continuing to charge us the same business rates. Presumably they haven't gone down. Um, Nothing. And you've affected our profits by 20%. So now we want the money from you. Trouble is, of course, that's our money, isn't it? Well, exactly. And, and of course, the, the, the trouble is, yes, there has been money raised to actually try and do legal um, um, uh, try to have late contest it quickly but nothing yet we've managed to uh, be able to do it but it, it seems to be that um i it I, what's weird is, is the fact that this is happening all over the country mm. uh, and the fact that the local citizens don't seem to have an opinion so we we were even asked oxford oxford was asked to fill in a questionnaire all the citizens see whether they wanted this and mm. it was actually categorically proven that we the majority of people didn't want it right. uh, because it hadn't been thought out properly yeah now the saddest thing is we then discovered that this committee meeting that happened in November where they were going to vote through the bus gate sector was going to be the next devastating thing to happen to Oxford. Mm. It turns out that the council had already decided it before. So it didn't make any difference what we actually said in the questionnaire anyway. Yeah. So they say, but they pretend to listen. Now, Oxford City County Council is still saying that um, they want us to give us their, our opinion, but they're not listening. They don't yeah. care. They're not going to do anything. It doesn't make any difference. You know, they, they are stuck in their ways. They've made a decision. Um, it's very much a bit like my mum used to say, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say. Yes, exactly. That and presumably the congestion has not been affected at all oh, by what they're doing. No, but it's obviously uh, people's traffic journeys now are sort of three or four times as long. Right. The pollution levels in areas of Oxford are actually illegal now. Um, this is what I understand, that some of the, the these discoveries were actually hidden and not actually talked about. Mm. Um, you know, and you've, I mean, there was a, a member of my staff went to collect his children from Cafe Coco to go to an area called Blackbird Lees, which is about a mile and a half up the road, uh, maybe two two miles at the most. And it took him three and a half hours to go there and Jeez back. Christ. You know, this is coming down from Headington Hill, where Brooks University is down towards Cafe Coco, which is a stretch probably half a mile to three quarters of mm. a mile maximum, often take people over an hour to travel by bus. That's I extraordinary. Mean, it's absolutely it? ridiculous. We've got people, people aren't, just aren't coming because they just can't get there. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Well, listen, we wish you luck, Clint. We'll keep in touch because um, anything we can do uh, to harass the council, obviously in a completely legal and, and manufactured yes, way, we will, we will do. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, Clint Pugh, designer, restaurateur, uh, father, by the way, of Florence Pugh, the actress, um, who's absolutely at war uh, with Oxford City Council, who threatened him uh, with all sorts of horrible things, including fines if he didn't take that poster down, which he has now done. Um, but we'll talk about this some more. Laura Dodsworth is coming up next. I mean, she's got plenty to say about things like low-traffic neighbourhoods as well. Uh, but we will be talking with her next, right here on Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The place to be, by the way, uh, for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We cover the things that nobody else covers uh, because we are indeed fearless you might say. Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday to you too. Welcome. It's quite a nice day outside. Not bad. Feeling really summery. has not yet fallen apart. Um, we've got plenty to discuss though. That Where would have. you like to begin? Um, well, there are several stories that have caught my attention yes. since I was last in the hot seat in yeah. the home of common sense with you, Mike Graham. Mm. 
And the first one was um, a story that was quite close to my heart because it's about teenage boys, yeah. which I have too, yes. lucky me, and also their reading material. So the author, Joanne Harris, uh-huh. um, who's not just a famous author, but she's the chair of the Society of Authors, has said recently that boys should be me- reading more books with girls in, girls mm. as the main characters, right. so that when they're older and women speak up about sex-based violence or some such then boys will be more likely to hear them so she thinks that a way to decrease disparities and gender inequality is for boys to read more books with Uh girls in does she have a reading list for us like little women perhaps (laughs) or you know jane austen no i love little women and jane austen but the thought of getting my teenage boys to read read, either is quite funny but why not just read all sorts of books why would you necessarily have to read books with women in them you have to read books with humans in them. Yeah. Day of the Triffids is good. That's got some Triffids in it. Well, that would be great for... Um, that would probably be on the Royal Horticultural Society's reading list. I mean, if this yes. year they wanted us to welcome weeds as, what do they call them? Resilient plants. Yeah. Next year it's probably going to be Triffids. Do you know what so the don't best part joke. of Day of the Triffids is? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It actually it mentions the street that I used to live in, in it. Does it? Yeah. Should we say that street or do we no. give away your home address no, and details? And I was going to say, but it is careful. quite cool. It is quite cool. Uh, the guy, the, the sort of the protagonist in the book, uh, ends up in a house in my street. It is cool. I loved that book. Very yeah. scary. Anyway, back to the idea of prescribing what, what boys should read. What sort of author read. tells people what to read? Well, you know, us authors would like to tell everyone to read our books, but you shouldn't. I think there's a, there's a few things that are wrong with this basic idea. Mm. I mean, first of all, I'd say this has gone too far. Yeah. Actually, there is such... Um, and, and you know me. I'm not exactly a card-carrying feminist because it's exactly. a broad church. But I believe 100% with all... All my heart, every fibre of my being in equal rights between men and women. Mm. I would say that the feminisation of institutions and our cultural life has probably gone a bit far in some ways. Boys get this kind of thing rammed down their throats the whole time. One of my teenage boys was supposed to read um, a story with a trans protagonist in his tutorial classes for ages. I was going to say, I suppose we should be thankful that she's not recommending that you read books with trans um, characters in them so that you can understand them better. But it's just a bit much for boys. They Mm. don't want to be dictated to in this way all the time. And the fact is, you know, the curriculum already beds in lots of ideas already. So think to, you know, what my 16-year-old's just done for GCSE, Inspector Calls, you know, with the character Eva Smith. You've got the character Eva Smith. It's, Mm. it's, It's a text which is highly focused on issues of equality between men and women, as well as lots of other issues, Mm. you know, class. Um, A Christmas Carol. Well, in there, you've got how Scrooge Mm. treats his fiancé, Belle, and his his, um, reminiscings about his his mother. You know, you you have men and women in in all the great books. They've they've read Macbeth. You know, look at Lady Macbeth, for goodness sake. So you don't really need to also be suggesting that they read books which centre women. And naturally, I think quite often boys want to read books with boys as the main character and girls want to read books with Mm. girls as the main character and people should just read great books that increases their love of literature and therefore all things to do with humanity anyway but these are 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 they not the same people who kind of want to censor some books and say well well, you shouldn't really read that one because that one's Mm. not really very representative of the way things should be or whatever i used to read a lot thomas hardy and thomas hardy um 
writes about women in a particular way. Some would argue that there's a lot going on behind the scenes. You know, we used to study, um, you know, the, the methodology of the way that he used colours and all of that. And I kind of couldn't be bothered with that. I just liked the stories. Yeah. You know, Desperate Remedies, which is one of his first books, is kind of really interesting because it's sort of him setting out how he's going to write the rest of his books, if you like, and it's almost like his kind of primer. And you can see how he develops all of the ideas in it. This is all starting to sound a bit intellectual. People will probably no, be quite surprised. You, oh, I'm, but, I'm you know, wrapped. I'm hanging um, on every word. I didn't know you were a Hardy fan too. So by the time you get to Test of the Durbervilles, you know, he's mm. kind of become a more sophisticated writer. But the women are always a bit tragic. But so are the men. Mm. The men are always really kind of useless in the end. And you go, what are you thinking? What are you yeah. doing? You know. I think if you tell boys they should be reading books with female protagonists, it's too artificial. Yeah. We have such an incredible wealth of literature mm. in this country and from around the world to draw on. Let them just read good books. Also, she's totally out of touch. They're all on TikTok. They're not reading books they're anymore. Not really reading I got books. bad news for you, Joanne yeah. Harris. They are. They're not following the book tag, right. uh, the book talk right. hashtag or whatever it is on TikTok. Even I don't know. Even I'm not following book talk. I've given up on TikTok, is. by the way. Yeah, no, me too. Because for a while, I thought I'm trying to get into this and see if we can get part of it, but I just, I've just given up. I want to just say one more thing about Joan Harris. I mean, the other thing about this comment is, which you know, you could barely put a piece of paper between her and Chairman Mao, who Mm. said that um, education is for the for the purpose of changing the thinking of children. Um, You know, it's it's a very left wing thing, isn't it? Telling kids what to read to alter their thinking, teach them what to think, not how to think. But anyway, I mean, I was one of the people that wrote um, an open letter to the Society of Authors Mm. about her a couple of years ago because she really. She appeared on, on social media to trivialise the death threats right. that J.K. Rowling and Salman Rushdie had had. Right. You know, she's put herself very firmly in a particular camp, well, I hope she's which that supports one. trans. She did retreat from that tweet. She deleted it. But, you know, she's very much in that camp um, of people who have really bought into all yeah. the trans ideology. Right. And they're, they're always the same kind of people who think they can tell you what books to read to change your thinking. It's funny I, that, isn't I'd it? I'd say if your teenage boy is reading a book just step back and clap you've done a great job whatever book they're reading you've won it's all these people who practice um intolerance while saying that you should all be more tolerant you know because they're not tolerant at all if anybody doesn't agree with them and they're quite intolerant of people who disagree with them vigorously um an example was that woman yesterday i had on charlotte nichols a labor mp Mm. um who didn't see the correlation between saying that she hated tories basically and, you know, the abusive nature of political discourse in this country. She seemed mm. to think that was all right because a lot of people hate Tories. Well, not if you're an MP. You shouldn't be supporting that view. Of course, there will be people that say it. There might be people that sing it at a, at a, at a concert. <sighs> but, you know, wherever we, we got to, we just hit half a million um, views on uh, Twitter, by the way, with my interview with her yesterday. But she just didn't get it. She was just kind of, I don't know whether she was deliberately not getting it or just not intelligent enough to get it, but she just did not understand that for, for her to spend a lot of time as she does campaigning against online abuse because Mm. it leads to terrible things in real life she then didn't understand that by endorsing a message that says I hate Tories that doesn't have any effect on people and their lives well it's not just that it can lead to online abuse or even real world tragedies it's not even just that it's about um, manners 
and encouraging people and to ideas. have different, a different beliefs and ideas. Yeah. So um, if that's the attitude, well, for Labour to win, they're going to need some people who voted Tory in the last election. Do they hate those Tories? Apparently do, not. Do they hate those people that voted Tory but might vote Labour next time? Yeah. You know, where does it where does it end? Right. Are you ever allowed to have had a different idea? It says so much not just about political discourse but public discourse mm. that people slip so easily into insults, swearing, yeah. really vile language. Mm. Um, I, I guess at a concert, I that's think, the kind of place it's going to happen. Yeah, You're going to get and, people and chanting know, I, something I, I like that. I don't so but, much object to them doing it. I object to the kind of reasoning behind it. Their reasoning is, well, I'm not a bad person. They're the bad person. That's mm. why I hate them, because they've done that. And you kind of go, there's no logic to that, really. That's a bit actually um, randomly insane. Well, you know, people on the left always think they have this moral high ground, yeah. that they're better on the people on the right. And the people on the right think the people on the left are a bit stupid. Mm. So, you know, it's it's the eternal it's I'm the eternal sure. problem. I'm not sure that, that people on the right think people on the left are stupid. I think they're just slightly more polite about the way that they disagree with them. I think they often do think yeah. they're a bit stupid. But, you know, fair enough. Um, but, you know, it's... It's not something you want to see an MP endorse. And the fact that she can't come back from it... Well, I think often people don't want to admit they're wrong these days. Yeah. It's see, seen as a weakness. Yeah. Um, but it it's a really depressing state of affairs mm. that, you know, we've got an MP saying it's perfectly all right to chant F the Tories. Yeah. Um, and so then so I hate Tories. Good luck winning those votes back. Yeah, I think that is one of the problems they're going to have. Let's talk about food, supermarkets, caps oh, on yeah. prices. Uh, oh, so Rishi Sunak's um, Why doesn't he do something that a Conservative Prime Minister would do instead of making out that he's like some kind of Chairman Mao figure who's going to control everything everybody does? Well, he's committed absolute blasphemy, of course, because it's not that long ago that he described himself as a Thatcherite. You know, an really? heir to Thatcher. I can't see Thatcher ever imposing food caps. No. So I was in I was in one of the shires this weekend mm. with family and there were many terms bandied around, oh. such as communist, yes. technocrat. Yes. Who were they talking about? Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak. Well, he also claims to be a Brexiteer, but he hasn't shown much evidence of that either. No, also... With his good friend Ursula von der Leyen, as I like to call her. Also, terms like bring back Liz Truss, you know, a lot of disgruntlement from yeah. actual Conservative Party mm. members who wanted Liz Truss got Sunak very upset about it. Yeah. And the thing is, and, you know, the, the political establishment and the media seem somehow to have a complete blackout and a, a memory blackout mm. that inflation is actually caused by government and central bank. Yeah. It's about it's about monetary policy. It's about quantitative easing. Right. You print money, you get inflation. You don't really get inflation unless you produce more money. Um, and so the very idea that what we need is more intervention is madness. But although the political establishment and the media have forgotten, a lot of ordinary people haven't mm. forgotten. So my family were talking about um, what a counterproductive policy this will be, that people in this country might just produce less of those goods. Yeah. And so then more people from over, you know, more companies from overseas might produce more of those goods. Right. The market will find a way around things. Ultimately, it's going to, um, it's not going to affect inflation. That's not what causes inflation. Right. Yeah, also, the, you're supposed the, the to believe in the free market, aren't you? I mean, if you're a conservative, you're supposed to believe in the free market. But more and more of what conservative ideology appears to be at the moment is interventionist economics. You know, give people money to pay their electricity bill. Give people money to, you know, help them out with their food bills. You know, tell, um, you know, gas and oil companies that you're going to put a windfall tax on them for making too much money. I mean, none of that 
is supposed to be conservative policy. Not any of it. No. Well, there's a total lack of owning up to what's really going on, which mm. is vast quantitative easing, yeah. effectively printing money, you know, in, in on paper and digitally. Um, you know, where we are now with strikes and wage inflation, inflation is only a cost. So turn into of, Australian there for a minute. Yeah, wage I know. Inflation. I'm so sorry. Wage inflation. <laughs> it's, it's By the way, it's only a train cost strikes of that. this week. Strike tomorrow. Strike on Friday, strike on Saturday. Well, of course, because that's what happens after quantitative <sighs> easing inflation. You then get wage inflation. Mm. And, you know, the the um, inf- the interest rates rises now are very much rearguard action. Mm. You know, interest rates work when they're applied in advance to prevent inflation. Yeah. Not afterwards, not after the horse has bolted. Right. Um, so Although I have a little less sympathy for people who are suffering from um the interest rate rises because, you know, mostly it's people who've got mortgages who are saying, oh, my mortgage is so unaffordable now, I don't know what to do. Well, you know, that's the way it used to be. You used to have mortgage rates that fluctuated and up and down. You never had a period of, of you know, what you might describe as sort of stagflation where it was 1% or lower uh, in the Bank of England's sort of monetary interest rate for so long. You know, mm-hmm. that's unheard of. Certainly in my lifetime, we had the previous kind of five or six years and suddenly people thought, oh, I can borrow cheap money. I'll just borrow loads of money. And now they're going, oh, blimey, the payments have gone up a bit. Well, the problem is at school, you know, there's this pressure on to be teaching them algebra till they're 18. And actually people need to learn about real world finances um, and 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 practically what you do with money in, yes. in the real world. That's that's what our children And how about need. living within your means? How about teaching people that? Include, I include the government in that, by the way. Yeah, but it's hard at the moment. Everything has got really expensive. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's yeah, but it's very hard it, yeah, to well, balance your, m- your money every this. month I now. I keep hearing this, but every time I go to a supermarket, it is rammed with people buying everything. So... <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, is, this, know, is this new economic indicator? Mike's Mike's supermarket trips. Everyone's well, buying a lot of stuff, so we're well, all right. Well, because if people couldn't afford to buy anything, what are they doing there? I no. I think same I at think airports. It is. Well, Who are all I, these people? I'm feeling the squeeze. You know, maybe what they're doing. Maybe what. Maybe they're in there for so long because they're trying to work out where the bargains are. Well, maybe they should stop buying quite so much, and then they might be able <laughs> to afford a bit more. I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, people have got so much now in life. You know, in terms of I grew up in the 70s. I'm not trying to make out that we were poor, but we weren't particularly well off. And we didn't really have very much. And there wasn't really much to buy. Now you can buy everything. Mm. You know, if you want to lease a Rolls Royce, even though you can't afford it, you can probably figure out a way of doing it. And you can drive around a Rolls Royce and go, look at me. But, you know, you couldn't do that in the 70s because you didn't want to buy everything. Yeah, that wasn't really an economic high period for this country, though, was it? The 70s. No, that's what I'm saying. But the point is, is that I'm not saying we should go back to that. But, you know, we did all right. Well, maybe you know, we will there's a lot be. There's um, fat people around. I wasn't fat in the in the seventies. Couldn't afford to eat much. Oh, and, I, and I used to walk around <laughs> a lot as well because you know there was no uh, there was no other choice. I couldn't jump in a cab every five minutes. If I wanted to go somewhere. I had to yeah, walk. Yeah, yeah. I had a girlfriend who lived in North Finchley. I used to have to decide whether to get a cab on the way home or eat a kebab because it was the same price. And depending on what we've been doing that night, sometimes I was hungry. So I walked all the way home from North Finchley to Hampstead. That was that was the choice. Oh, we're getting all the good stories today, yeah. aren't we? We're getting. Sorry. You won't be hearing it's any similar ones me. like that from me. I was never making decisions between cabs and well, kebabs. I, would hope I that promise you. Young man, you were going out with would deliver you home, and then he would worry about where he was going to get. Yes, in his bright red Ford. What was it? What was a kind of crummy car Cortina? from those times? Was it a Capri or something? Oh, a Capri. Well, that was quite a flash car. Mm, Could have been an Escort. Was. <laughs> Maybe Ford it Escort. was an Escort. I'm trying to remember. Dim distant, dim distant past. Right. Anyway, if you were really unlucky, it might be a fiesta. But so, do, let's not finish this without skewering Rishi Sunak properly. <laughs> I want to get back to the fact that he's well, he wasn't ever blasphemy. worried about getting a cab home. No, was he? he wasn't. He was in the helicopter. 
But the problem is, when it comes to the next election, the Conservatives aren't going to be able to say to people, look, is your life better than the last election, therefore vote for us? You yes. know, the very simple argument, you know, are things better for you after this term of Conservative government? The answer is likely to be no. Right. Food caps aren't going to help. All that will happen is that somehow it will have to be subsidised. Is there such a thing as voluntary price caps for supermarkets and manufacturers? It would be subsidised in some way or another. Basically, they'll be taxing you with one hand to give you a food cap yeah. with the other hand. It would be a disaster. Of course this it conservative would. government needs to rediscover being conservative. Well, also, and he's not a Thatcherite in no, any sense. I'm not even sure if he's a Brexiteer. Also, and the idea that you cap something and then call it a cap, you mm. know, then it isn't a cap. Like look at the energy cap. You know, it came down the other day, um, but it won't happen until July, and it's not actually a cap. I don't Just know why when they you keep turn calling... heating off anyway. Yeah. Woo. Why are they calling it a cap though? Because it's not. Because yeah. you could be paying a lot more than that anyway. Yeah, you could be. So what do you do in these times when, when times are hard, when, when everything's going mad, um, when there are lots of struggles and some people are, are working out how to balance their books every month? Well, you can turn to God. Yes. So I decided this year I would go to church more. Okay. Because it was a kind of a question of walking the talk after writing A State of Fear, which gave me something of an existential crisis mm. about human psychology. Right. You know, seeing in our time how people were whipped up using propaganda and fear to comply with draconian laws. And then writing my next book, Free Your Mind, which is all about how you resist manipulation. They keep coming back to they, they keep bringing me back to what you can do as an individual to have a strong sense of values, to get spiritual nourishment, to do things that provide more stability for society. So I thought, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try going back to church. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time since my C of E school. Yes. And, and did you go regularly to church when you were a child? Um, well, I went to a C of E school, and That's you not know, the there same was, thing. There Sorry was, to break it to you. <laughs> no, normal things like Easter, Christmas, not not every Sunday. So you didn't go every Sunday. No. See, I was an altar boy. Were you? A Catholic, good Catholic boy. Every Sunday, sometimes Saturdays, weddings. Really? You know, Stations of the Cross, the whole nine I, yards. Photos or it's not real. Photos next week, please, of Mike as an altar boy. No, we had pictures in those days. <laughs> we didn't have a camera. You couldn't afford a kebab. You certainly couldn't afford a camera. I tried to a buy camera. a camera once and, my, and I, my father wouldn't let me get it on high purchase, which was the only way I could afford to get it. He said you have to save up for it. That's the good old days when you weren't allowed to borrow money. Yeah. I say that to my sons all the right. time. My youngest is always saying, can I have a tenner? I'll pay you back when I'm paid. Yeah. I'm like, no. No. Learn to manage your money, sunshine. Really? He thinks I'm horrible. Yeah, but I get the call in the middle of the night to say, I can't get home, I need to get a taxi, I haven't got any money. So you haven't got any choice, really, at that point. Use your legs. Buy well, a you can't always do that in, in the countryside, though. Back to church. Anyway, sorry, back, back to, to church. church. Um, gosh, we've learned about Mike the altar boy, Mike the day of the triffid um, <laughs> resident, and Cabal Kebab. Yeah. Cabal Kebab. Cabal Kebab this, is great. This sounds like a new programme That could be a new TV Cabal show. Kebab. Cabal Kebab. I'm TMing that. Very good. Okay. Um, so right, church. so back to church. Well, what I found since looking into the church again more mm. and getting its daily news and going to church is I, I feel like the Church of England, it, well, it's debatable really whether it worships God or net zero. It's obsessed uh, with climate. Is it? Sometimes going to a sermon is like woke bingo. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, this is all led by the Archbishop of Wokebury, isn't it? It is. I mean, he's particular. COP27, he made quite a rousing fire and brimstone mm. speech about flooding. Right. And that set me off on a little journey. I thought, well, okay, there are floods which cause trauma, death, devastation. They may or may not be anthropogenic. I looked at the IPCC information on that. It's not, it's not really very clear. Some might be, some might not be. Oh, gosh. So what's happening with flooding in this country? Here's the, right. here's the Archbishop of the 
Church of England, after mm. all. And I've got the figures here because I contacted the ONS about it. And and it's not the only point to make about his COP26 speech, but it's just something that struck me. One death has been registered as caused by flooding in England and Wales between 2013 and 2021. One? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Registered what? as caused by flooding. Eight years? Yeah. There might be others, but they may, they weren't registered as right. caused by flooding. They may, maybe they died later mm-hmm. of other causes or something. Um there were, however, 4,859 deaths related to drug poisoning in England and Wales in 2021. Right. And, and it's just one of those things that strikes me. I mean, you never really hear the Church of England talking about drug problems. No. And I've got teenage boys. I know you've got teenagers. You must be exposed just as I am to how many drugs young yeah. people are doing. Yeah. And I thought, well, well, why aren't they talking about that? Because it's an, not fashionable. Well, it's not about climate, is it? And then there's another one. Um, the Museum of Homelessness charity found that the number of homeless people that died in 2022 was 1,313, mm. which was an 85% increase on the study three years before. Yeah. So we've got all these people dying on the streets yeah. and dying from drugs. And I, I can't find the Archbishop of Canterbury talking about that. No. He's banging on about floods. Well, it's like when he bangs on about migrants and Tories and he doesn't actually say that the Archbishop would have in his power the ability to de- devote huge swathes of land that the church owns in parts of the country where they could pull, build houses and put them all in them. They don't mm. do any of that. It just, I just found something about it. It rankles and it feels unfair and difficult because in two areas, drugs, drug dependency and addiction and homelessness, where you think the church might be able to really offer spiritual nourishment, yes. guidance. Seems and like where a Christian that thing might, to do. And it might make sense for political direction Instead, its focus is unremittingly on net zero. I mean, another example was um, at Lent, there were talks that people could give up meat, mm. have meat-free Fridays, not for the reasons they used to, which no. would be um, to mirror when Jesus Fish on uh, a Friday was, was definitely a staple of my childhood. Yeah, but that was about Jesus going into the desert yeah. for 40 days. That's what, that's what Lent's about. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't about the sacrifice Jesus made. No, no, it's for climate. Mm. As though you can change the purpose of something which has got you know, thousands of years old tradition yeah. for something which is a brand new human concern that you can just switch yeah. one well, practice Ireland, for another. They're talking about slaughtering hundreds of uh, wild, wildlife, hundreds of livestock for the climate to save the climate. It's nice, isn't it? No, it's not nice. No, I know. I, I didn't so, mean it was nice. So I'm finding at the moment that just when I've I've had something of a little bit of a road to Damascus moment, the yes. church has had a road to Davos moment. Yeah. And just at the time when I'm interested in the structure that church might provide. I feel like the structure is quite hollow, mm. like an empty vessel, yeah. and it doesn't really know what it's about anymore. Oh. Anyway, my latest substack's about my experience of the Church of England. Yes. Mick says this, Laura laughs, but I remember living on minced tatty soup, no lino, no TV, and only one car in the village in the 60s. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, you but know. I shouldn't laugh, should I? One car in the village. Yeah. Tatty soup sounds nice. Mince and tatty soup sounds good. What does he mean by no lino? What was on no the floor? No lino. What Probably was on nothing. the floor? Well, maybe nothing. Dirt. Could have been. Well, wow. just wood, so maybe. Floorboards. Oh, everyone's, everyone's taking the lino up and polishing the floorboards now. Well, lino's now a very expensive thing if you ever want to put lino in. It's not like the cheap stuff you used to get. I know. I like lino. Do you? I like the old original retro okay. lino. That's it gives a whole me a nice gives me a nice feeling. I think maybe about the seventies. Maybe. It takes you back to grandparents' kitchens mm. and flapjacks and bitter lemon and Yeah. You know those swing benches in the garden? Yeah. Were the seventies actually great or was it just because we were kids? Well, I had a great time. Yeah. Right? So and that's my knowledge of it. Hot I, summers. I I just had a great time. 
brilliant heat waves. But then I've enjoyed every decade, to be honest. Because that's the kind of guy I am. That's anyway, just you. That's, that's just, just you. Anyway, more from uh, the history of my life uh, coming up <laughs> soon. Uh, Laura will be back next week. Um, Al Mehmet's coming next. We're going to talk about Albanians. Apparently 80 Albanian migrants have been sentenced to 130 years in jail in the first four months of this year alone. That's here. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do, plenty of time still to do it. We're here till one o'clock, of course. Mark Saggers coming in for Ian Collins at one. Um, and then coming up at four o'clock, uh, another delight for you. Kevin O'Sullivan um, joined uh, by Rosie Wright. And then, of course, it's uh, Jeremy Carl live at seven. Uh, Piers Morgan uncensored with Rosanna Lockwood. And then the talk, which I think I'm on tonight. Uh, so we'll let you know what we'll be talking about there. But I imagine ITV will probably get a little bit of a mention. A couple of tweets for you. Uh, Go Laura, says Jane. We keep telling boys they're bad. They will, they will be. Mental health crisis in young men. Anyone? Straight white boys can gain good employment. I have a bright 25-year-old boy who was advised to say uh, he was gay on job applications. Really? Uh, listening to um, Tim's, no, sorry, not that one. Uh, you were right, Laura, about going back to church, says John. Um, very wise. I go often after years of not bothering. I enjoy it. We need more people like you in the church system. Uh, and John says, a different John, how about telling boys to read the Bible? At least they would know our religion instead of other um, religions as well. But of course, telling boys to read anything isn't easy. Without fail, says Peter, my wife teaches secondary school uh, with less able students. She was listening and said, good luck getting boys to read anything unless it's in a video game or TikTok. And I think that is a problem for parents, you know, trying to get your, your children to read books. They read books if they're on the curriculum. They read books if they are, in fact, um, having to read them for their exams. But as a general rule, it's unusual to find a teenage boy interested in reading books at all, I would say. Let's talk to Nick Buckley, MBE, mayoral candidate now uh, and campaigner. He knows a thing or two um, about the plight of young men uh, trying to get their way through life. Nick, a very good uh, morning to you, or afternoon, I should say. Good afternoon. Great to be back on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see you. Um, I know we weren't going to talk about this, but Laura Dosworth brought it up. And, and you know, there's uh, I think it's Joanne Harris or Joe Harris, one of the authors from the, the Society of Authors, has said that, you know, young men, uh, young teenage men, boys should read more books with female protagonists in order to help them understand women better. You know, all of this kind of mad wokery doesn't work for me. And I'm sure you'd agree that, you know, boys have got a difficult enough time trying to figure out how to be a boy, never mind how to understand women. I mean, I've been a grown up male for quite some time. And some of us might say you'll never understand women. You know, you just can't. <laughs> yeah, if we want boys to read, why don't we give boys things to read that they're interested in? Yeah. Let's give them comics. Yeah. Let's give them books about aliens and fighting aliens and destroying other worlds. Let's give them books about where the hero is a man because he saves, he runs into a burning fire and saves a stranger's family. Mm. Let's give them books that they can relate to and they will read those books. Yes. But at the moment, we give them books that just bore them to life. Yeah. So they put them down and just don't carry on reading. Yeah. Or we get the opposite end of the spectrum where we get people saying, oh, don't read that book because it's too old-fashioned and it might give you an old-fashioned view of the world. Well, what's wrong with that? You know? Yeah, I mean, some of the old-fashioned books, I mean, let's be honest, there's hardly any new stories at all. Right. So we just reinvent... That's all the um, the Marvel Universe at the moment is. It's just reinventions of old stories, mm. old myths, old legends. And the reason why they're popular is because there's ancient stories in that. There's ancient learning mm. about how to be a hero. And that's what men should be. Men should be aiming to be a hero, to be protectors, to be providers, to looking after the community, looking at your family. And that's why our boys uh, 
have a void because they're, they're not being fulfilled. They don't know what to do anymore. They really don't. And part of that confusion, I think, is born out of what you've just said, because a lot of people who have listened to what you've just said would say that makes perfect sense. Yes, boys should be encouraged to be heroic. They should be encouraged to have sort of male qualities. But of course, a lot of people listening to that will be horrified and would recoil and go, that's a disgrace. You know, how dare you sort of gender specific people? And how dare you say that they should be behaving in a certain way because they're male? But, But I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, if you're on the London Underground as a woman and you're sat on your own in a carriage and you've got a man abusing you, swearing at you, honest, believe me, that woman is looking around that cabin going, will another man please stand up and protect me? She's not going, I don't need men to protect me, I will look after myself. She's looking for a man because that's our role in life is to protect, especially women and children. Who do you think shouts... Women and children first in mm. emergencies. It's not women, it's not children. Mm. It's other men who shout that. Yeah. And they will not tolerate other men who jump the queue once that's been shouted. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, let's talk about your uh, candidacy, because since yeah. you and I last spoke, you've decided to have a go at uh, the political world. I mean, you've been on the edges of it for a while. What, what made you decide to actually run for office? I ran two years ago against Sandy Burnham for Mayor of Greater Manchester. Oh. I only had eight weeks campaigning. Right. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Greater Manchester Police had just gone into special measures. I used to work with the police. I've trained police officers in my past. And I thought, I've had enough of this now. If we lose the police, we're going to lose society. So I was never going to win, but I made a point of standing so I could raise those issues. And the last two years, I've had that many people telling me I should stand again, I should stand as an MP. Um, And then I decided I, I need to give it a go. So I've launched my campaign now. I've got 11 months the next election which is the second of may next year and 11 months should be enough time for me to get my messages out there and then it's down to the people all i can do is give them a choice yes and so what's your kind of um main point of of uh, of attraction if you like what are you what are you going to be telling the people of manchester what they'll get if they get you yeah so i've got a whole list of policies some are, some haven't been announced yet i'm trying to play the game of drip feeding into the media over several months but the ones we've talked about at the moment is no to net zero right so as the mayor the mayor's office will not endorse any project that restricts our movement makes us poorer of a tax car use because hallelujah I mean, yeah, I mean, you say hello it's as if it's as if I'm a brain surgeon I know no listen because people don't say it Yeah, yeah so let's just talk about common sense and, you know, at the moment, we've got a cycling czar in Greater Manchester. So that, that goes day one. Yeah. And I'm going to replace it with a motoring czar. Great idea. Not because I want to gridlock our region with cars, mm. because, you know, we need to look at pollution. We need to have living, you know, in a cleaner world. I get all that, and I want that. But at the moment, the people being penalised are always car users. And I want their voice to be heard in Greater Manchester. So we're going to have a, a motoring czar. And I also came up with something very controversial last week, and I've announced it now, which is a woman is an adult human female. Goodness me. Don't, don't go crazy, Mike. Don't go that crazy. very controversial. No. Listen, on the subject of cars, funnily enough, I was just talking to Florence Pugh's dad, who runs a couple of restaurants in Oxford, and he's absolutely uh, incandescent with rage. He's had, to hand, he's, he's had one of his places repossessed because there's nobody going there anymore because they've got these low-traffic neighbourhoods, this kind of war on the car driver. But we, we, we saw this yesterday and thought this would be interesting. It's a Just Stop Oil protester um, holding up traffic in London, and suddenly uh, somebody fights back, and it's a surprising mm. somebody. Have a look at this. 
So there you go. And there's even a cyclist having a go at Just Stop All now because there's such numpties. You know, I mean, they keep saying, oh, we have to raise awareness. Well, you don't really because everybody's aware. Thanks very much indeed. I've got, it's not a conspiracy theory, but what I'm beginning to think of now about Just Stop Oil is they they have a different agenda and their agenda is they're waiting to provoke violence. They're waiting until one of their members, and I'm not, I'm not sure that group itself is controlling that. I think they're being used. They're what Lenin said, are useful idiots. Yes. But I think someone's pushing them. So a member of the public loses it, and then violence happens because I think they're, the Green Lobby, the Green Terrorists, are going to use that incident for mm. them to turn to violence. And well, I, I, think, I think that's where this is coming to. Yeah. Well, I think the people of, of London certainly are going to turn to violence if they don't stop holding the traffic up. But I'm not sure they can punch their way out of a paper bag, some of those just of all characters. Let me ask you about um, what's going on at ITV as well, because you're mm. a commonsensical individual, um, Nick. And, <clears throat> and I mean, what has happened to ITV, in my view, is nothing short of criminal. I mean, they, they've, begun, they've gone woke. Uh, they've allowed people to get away with certain types of behaviour because they had the right political views or they showed themselves to be, you know, kind and gentle and all of that. But the people who they didn't like, they just kind of torched and just let go. Jeremy Clarkson, Jeremy Kyle, Piers Morgan, mm. uh, all the people that they just let go of because they didn't fancy what they said. Uh, but they let people like Schofield and Ant McPartland flourish. Yeah, the Philip Schofield was a secret that everybody knew about. Mm. I mean, I don't watch daytime TV, really, and I don't watch mainstream TV at all. Yeah. And even I knew what was going on there just by reading Twitter. So we all knew what was going on. Um, every organisation has a safeguarding policy. Every organisation has a responsibility to protect the people who work in that agency, mm. in that organisation. And ITV have done exactly what the BBC did decades ago. They dropped the ball because they put financial income ahead of safeguarding vulnerable members well, of staff. Well, they did. And I've actually got some breaking news on that as well. Dr Ranj Singh, who issued a statement at the weekend about how he witnessed a culture of bullying uh, and toxic behaviour and harassment um, at ITV, particularly at this morning. He's issued another formal statement after a photo of himself um, with beleaguered former This Morning host Philip Schofield's young lover, resurfaced online today. He says, I've noticed people posting news articles where a journalist took a tweet from 10 years ago in isolation, completely out of context from the wider discussion, and used it to imply something else. This is inaccurate and unfair, and those comments were clarified years ago. Matt and I worked together at this morning. He was 21 uh, when we took this picture at the studio uh, in 2017, uh, and it was obviously taken as a joke. Well, there you are. Jesus mentioned his name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just a can of worms, isn't it? It is, and it's. But this happens in all large organisations where you get people who are deemed more valuable than other people. So you'll bend over backwards for those so-called stars who they think are bringing in the money, and there's lessons to be learned here. And one of the big lessons we need to learn 
And the same thing happened with Jimmy Savile and Rolf Harris and all those people. After it all comes out, we have far too many people who then come out and say, mm. I knew, I thought this was wrong at the time. Mm. Where were you five years ago? Yeah. You may have lost your job. Of course, there was risk to take. But do you know what? When it comes to safeguarding and saving young people and say, you know, stopping people abusing other people, people should speak out at the time. Right. Not good enough after the fact. Right. I mean, Philip Schofield's over now. There's nothing he can do to anybody. So it's safe to talk about him now. People should have talked about this five, six years ago. Yeah. To be fair, I think some people did do yeah, and some I'm people sure tried to, but of course ITV denied everything and just said, oh, we've done an investigation. None of it's true. So it was ITV that was holding up the kind of um, the truth from coming out, as it turns out. And now we need to find out who those senior managers were and we need to hold them accountable. Yes. That's how this culture changes. It changes by holding senior management to account. And once they start losing their jobs for doing something like this, every senior manager in every other organisation goes, oh, I better behave myself. Yes. I can't do this anymore because I might lose my job. I exactly. might lose my pension. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. It's a good point. Well, good luck with it, Nick. I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon before the uh, the, the voting begins. But it's, uh, there'll be plenty of people that would like you rather than Andy Burnham, I'm sure. Nick Buckley, MBE, uh, mayoral candidate in Manchester and campaigner, of course, as well. Coming up, uh, we've got much more to do. Ben Clatworthy's going to be here. We've got some rail strikes to tell you about. And also the DVLA apparently are going on strike again. Um, before that, they used to just work from home. Presumably they're going to strike from home, are they? This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.